Sometimes I want to begin the first talk of a retreat with the congratulations, um, congratulating those of you who have done this for the first time uh, that you got through the day, because <laughs> it can be very challenging. It can be a very challenging endeavor to come onto a retreat such as this, particularly those of you who didn't even know what you were getting yourselves into, which there are a few of you who that uh, is true for. You're really left with yourselves to be with your experience in any way that you can find possible. And it's, it's wonderful that you take this leap into the unknown. Some of you may have asked yourself the question today, what am I doing here? You know, it may have come up, there may have been some doubt or some confusion, some questioning about why you even did choose to come at all. And I'm hoping that in my talk tonight that I might be able to shed a little bit of light on that question, maybe have some, a little bit more understanding of what it is that we're doing here. We can always talk about this, what we're doing here, the the direction of, of what we're doing here from many different angles. And the one that I often like to approach from is from the heart, uh, about awakening the heart. We've talked, we've called our uh, week long by the name of the heart of wisdom bringing in this element of the heart and the importance of the heart qualities, the qualities that arise when the mind gets quiet. We start to feel into our being more wholly, more completely. So I want to just point a little bit to those qualities of the heart and the happiness that flows when we touch into those qualities of our heart. All beings want to be happy. No being wants to suffer. No being wants to feel the pain that we feel in this life. But what does it really mean when we talk about this happiness? Happiness is such a, such a general word, and it can be so confused and misunderstood because we all want to be happy, But what is it that we really want? What is it that we're really wishing for? The word happiness evokes so many images, so many ideals about what it looks like or what it would feel like or mean to be happy. And these images are fed by our Western culture, the ideas that this culture gives us for what it means to be happy. And these ideas are exaggerated, particularly through the media, the advertisements, through the bombardment of information we get from consumerism and products about what it would mean to be happy. This is also conditioned by our parents and our friends as we're growing up. I mean, it's certainly true for me my mother, and I may have mentioned this to, to some of you before, but my mother told me and continued to tell me 
that what was going to bring me happiness was finding a good husband who had a fair amount of money who <laughs> could buy me a house and I'd have lots of children and that would be my happiness. And that was really the picture that was fed to me. It wasn't um, very much expanded from that. <laughs> and so we get these messages, we get these images bombarded to us. What is going to bring this happiness? We're told what will make us happy. And so in a way, we try to become that. We try to do things and become that which is going to give the appearance of this happiness. We try to make ourselves into that. We might say that we package our identity or our image out of these projections, out of these ideas. We shape our bodies and our minds to fit these ideas of how we think we should be. Essentially, for the most part, we try to become that which we're not. And this sometimes can be quite subtle and sometimes not so subtle when we see this. We might even see this right here today manifesting, how we try to become or we're trying to want something happen that we think is going to make us happier. You know, the meditation is really just a mirror for our whole life. We can see our whole lives in one 45-minute sitting for how we relate to that. So we might see how we want certain experiences. We want the mind to be quiet. We want to feel certain energy or vibration in the bodies. We might want the mind to be light and bright or or feel these blissful sensations in the body, maybe wanting to keep the attention with the breath over a period of time. And we might have this idea that this is what's going to bring us happiness. And then when we see that that isn't actually what's happening in our experience, we may feel that disappointment or that frustration or that judgment about what's going on rather than seeing that really what we're looking at is to see if we can just be with our experience just as it is, to be with what's going on within us just as it's appearing, as it's arising, without trying to change it, trying to alter it, seeing if we can really be in that tolerant, that steady place in ourselves. So already, if we're attempting to create some kind of experience for ourselves, we're already moving out of this idea of what we think is going to be better or what we think is going to bring us this happiness. For me, when I started to shift from more of the worldly and material matters and I started to have a sense that there might be something more, something um, uh, greater that might give me happiness, when shifting to the spiritual or to the more divine aspect. I, could, I, I saw where my mind was getting trapped in this. Because there was one picture of a woman named Anandamai Ma when I just started getting involved in meditation. And this picture of this woman, she's a, she's, she died now, but she was popular in the early part of the 20th century, even the late 19th century. Beautiful 
very, very uh, enlightened saint in India. And when she was young, when she was in her teens, she was very, very beautiful. And the pictures of her are exquisite. She has long black hair and white saris, and she's kind of in the photograph, she's always sort of looking up into the, the vast divinity, and she has a very large bindi on her forehead. And she just embodies or personifies this you know, completely pure and saintly image. And on seeing that photograph, I could see that that's what I wanted. I wanted to be just like that. And there was this, already this movement of transferring my image of what I thought was going to bring me happiness in the worldly matters to what was going to bring me happiness in spiritual matters. And that was looking just like this woman and being able to <laughs> contact and feel the things I was quite sure that she was in touch with. So I just created this whole other image and this whole other ideal for myself to, uh, to move towards or to try to achieve. So rather than becoming what my mother told me I should become, now I thought, this is what I should become. And it wasn't until I really started to understand that that was just another trap that I could start really coming back into my own beauty, my own divinity shifting back again once more, back to where I would find the jewels, where I'll find the gold, not out there, not in some kind of imposed idea or imposed image of how I should be. When we take on these kinds of images or these ideas, it's really like dressing up in party clothes. It's like we put on some clothes that are just temporary or artificial. They're not really ours. We try to be that which we aren't, not who we are. And these ideas come from the mind, they come from the past, something that's been imposed. They're not immediate. It's not an immediate response to something here and now. Happiness is not about acting in some special way or adopting someone else's ideas or having special experiences. But I think that happiness is more something that flowers from within. It's something that we allow to flower from within. This is what I call awakening the heart. It's a shift from the mind. It's a shift from these imposed ideas and ideals that we carry with us through our memory. But in the letting go of those and coming back into our own heart, into our own being, something begins to flower. And I love this word flowering because it's as if we need to care and nurture the seeds or the small plant of this flower in our own being so that it can grow and it can expand and it can, can become our entire being. But it's not mind. It's not coming from the mind. And so here we try to put aside the mind. We try to to say, let's put it aside for a little bit and come back. See what you can feel within yourself. Come back to the truth of your being. Touch something within yourself that is not coming from the mind, not coming from the past. 
when we try to be something other than who we are, it's a movement away from ourselves. It's a movement away from our own heart, from our own unique expression of our being. And when we do this, when we, do, when we move away from ourselves, we feel the pain, we feel the dissatisfaction of this splitting. We feel the dissatisfaction of this fragmentation. And what we're really longing for is to come back into ourselves, come back into this wholeness, this place of completion or unity. One expression of this split that we may see operating right here today is in comparing. As soon as some thought or idea arises in our mind about how somebody else is doing better or how I just can't get it together, you know, I don't even know why I came, I can't even focus on the breath for one minute, and look at this other person there, they just seem to sit without moving for 45 minutes, they're even staying after the bell. You know, and then they go out and they do slow walking and they don't even seem to feel the anxiety and the frustration that I'm feeling within myself. Am I ever going to get it? We have these kinds of dialogues, this way that we project out onto what somebody else is doing so much better than we are and probably impossible that we'll ever achieve what we see in the other people. And right away we move away. We're moving away from ourselves. It's this kind of a a split, fragmentation. We can never feel satisfied in doing this because we'll always find the thing that is better or different or somehow something that we need to achieve that we never achieve. And this all feeds the split. We feel the restlessness, the agitation of that. I'd like to read a quote from the great poet Emerson. Sounds a bit like a spontaneous uh, writing of his. These roses under my window make no reference to former roses or to better ones. They are for what they are. They exist with God today. There is no time for them. There is simply the rose. It is perfect in every moment of its existence. But humans postpone and remember. They do not live in the present, but with averted eyes lament the past, or heedless of the riches that surround them, stand on tiptoes to foresee the future. He or she cannot be happy and strong until she too lives with nature in the present above time. Coming back into the present, letting go of the past, not leaning into the future, finding that perfection of our being that we are. Meditation brings us back to ourselves, to face the truth of what's there, And when we face the truth of what's there in our own being, there's the possibility that we may fall in love with it. How radical. 
how radical that we actually may fall in love with what we see in ourselves instead of being so frightened and angry and restless about what we see, falling in love. And we fall in love because we're not afraid. Love is the absence of fear when we let go of the fear of what we see. So the key really is this turning around, looking back, looking to see who we are in this moment. Not who I was in the past or who I'm going to be in the future, but right now. Who I am right now. And this turning, this turning back into the here and now with myself is the movement of love because it's a movement away from fear because I'm saying, yes, I'm going to look. Yes, I'm going to turn back. I'm going to take a look and see what's going on. In that moment, I'm not buying into the fear. It's a courageous moment because I'm saying, yes, I'll look and see. We're not holding on to images at that moment, but looking truthfully at what's really there. But the question is, can we be that honest with ourselves? It's a radical honesty. It's an honesty that allows us to come out of fear and delusion because we wake up to the truth. We merge with the truth so that we're not fragmented, we're not split off, but we come back into wholeness with ourselves. And what allows for this wholeness, what allows for this clear seeing, is awareness. Is this quality of awareness that we're cultivating here? Because the awareness is the light of our being. The awareness is what allows us to see. Awareness is impartial. Awareness embraces everything that it sees unconditionally. It is pure, like a clean, bright mirror. It does not reject what it doesn't like, and it doesn't cling on to what it likes. It's impartial in that way. Therefore, I say that awareness is love. It's that unconditional allowing of all things. Pure awareness allows whatever is there to show itself. It embraces whatever is there impartially. Whether it's joy or anger, whether it's excitement or sadness, whether it's ease in ourselves or fear, whether it's pleasure or pain, bringing awareness to that without, without judging or rejecting or holding on we really destroys the belief in the solidity of these mind states. We're not holding on to it. But our awareness is not pure. Our awareness gets tainted with our greed and our hate and our ignorance. 
We don't seem to have this impartial awareness when we can just open to all things without rejecting or without clinging. We seem to do this. This is the condition of our being. For some reason, through some deep conditioning, we don't see clearly. Things seem to stick to us, almost like they stick to us. They become us. And we believe these mind states are who we are. We want the pleasant qualities, we desire, we hold on to the pleasant qualities, and we reject the difficult aspects out of fear and hate. And we ignore the truth of who we are. And we try to mold ourselves into who we want to be or think we should be or would like to be without really understanding that we can't do that. It's a terrible misunderstanding because it doesn't work. We can't mold ourselves into our idea or image. It only causes more pain and fragmentation. And it just bounds us up in more fear and confusion. So at some point we get a sense of that, that the fact that it doesn't work that trying to be somebody that we're not. It just keeps us on this treadmill of trying and becoming and striving. So at some point we say, yes, I'm going to try something else. And we look for a way out. We come across the teachings of awareness and liberation. The teachings that point us to a way to be free, free from this fear and ignorance. There's a poem from a um, 14th century Indian mystic named Lala or Laudid. Just uh, briefly, she was married at 12 years old and after a bad marriage, she left to become a follower of Shiva. And she eventually wandered naked, singing and dancing her passionate mystical experiences in the street after her connection with the divine. So this is a translation that's come down from the 14th century. On the way to God, the difficulties feel like being ground by a millstone, like night coming at noon, like lightning through the clouds. But don't worry. What must come, comes. Face everything with love as your mind dissolves in God. Face everything with love as your mind dissolves in God. I think that's really a profound teaching. If we take each of those words, face everything with love. The first word, face, turning towards that which we see in ourselves. Face it, not away from it not to hide or ignore what we see, but to turn towards it and discover the truth. That seems to be the first step that we need to take. Face everything. I love that. Everything. (laughs) You know, whether we like it or whether we don't like it, turn towards it. And face everything with love, with that quality of love. And love is the absence of fear. 
It's when we're not afraid to turn towards it. We're not afraid to face it. Love is this embrace, this impartial embrace, even an invitation when we face everything with love. We're saying, yes, I will look at you. Come, let's see. Let's see what's there. But we have to be careful when we think of love because it can be tricky. We might think there will not be any fear there at all. But love can be there even in the face of fear when we turn that loving embrace towards our fear. Love is there. It doesn't mean the fear is gone. It just means we've turned towards it with our awareness. And we see it clearly without rejecting, without clinging. As we turn towards our experience, we start to see what's happening. We start to see what's happening. And we may still run away. We may still escape. We may still indulge in our fantasies and our worries and our fears. But we see it. And we can never underestimate the power of this seeing, the power of this turning towards and looking at our experience even if we find out it's too much and we have to run away for a while. But we know we're doing it. And there's some power that comes through that seeing. And seeing doesn't necessarily mean that we cut through the pattern as soon as we see it. But more, we can face it without anger, without criticism, without blame, without judgment, without fear. Very powerful when we start to pull back those layers of our usual reactivity. But rather, we embrace what we see out of tenderness and love. And each time we do this, it weakens those negative patterns, it weakens those difficult patterns that we see. Each time, we can bring a different attitude towards what we see. For example, here today, perhaps you've felt very sleepy or dull, and there can be the tendency to come and judge that or to get angry at ourselves because we don't want to be sleepy. We came here to wake up, and all we're doing is sleeping. What's wrong with me? Why can't I get it together? But rather than coming towards that experience with our anger, we can come towards it with gentleness, with tenderness. It's just sleepiness. Just the body's intelligence saying that it's tired, it needs to rest. Can we be tender with that? Or for feeling frustration at how we are meditating, not being able to connect with the breath or spacing out or feeling uh, agitated in our bodies. Can we not be afraid of that frustration? Just say, yeah, it's hard, it's frustrating. Not get not condemn it or criticize ourselves for it, but to be easy with ourselves around that. If we feel the pain in our body, how easy we can condemn it and get angry at our bodies for for being painful. But can yet we hold those painful sensations with a tender embrace? Hold our bodies with a loving quality. having a more gentle attitude towards what we see.
And when we see, we can develop the skill to help let go of our reactions, to notice right in the moment when we're clinging, to notice right in the moment when we're rejecting, and see if we can relax, just relax that holding, relax that attitude of mind. And every moment of clear seeing, every moment we see this pattern in our mind where we're reacting or holding on, every moment we see that and relax, this weakens that clinging. It weakens the reactivity and the identification with that as self, as who I am. And as we do this, more and more we feel the relaxation in the mind. We feel the spaciousness in our being as we let go. And the more we do this, in time we develop a trust that we can face the truth of our experience. We're not so afraid. It gets stronger and stronger, that trust in our own resources, our trust in our own capability strengthens, it grows. And we get a sense of what it means to be with our, in, we, to be with our experience without indulging, without making it bigger than it actually is, and without repressing or denying or pretending that something isn't actually going on. But we can really allow ourselves to feel the energy of the experience, just to feel the energetic consequence of what's happening within ourselves, to feel it, to be touched by that manifestation of life. We can begin to trust in these manifestations of life. When we're not personalizing every behavior and not making something bigger out of it, but yet just feeling the moment-to-moment changing reality of our experience, something starts to shift. There's a movement of the heart. And this is something that I call silent forgiveness. In my experience, what I've noticed over time is as I'm not condemning, as I'm not judging, as I'm not constructing these stories around my experience, I notice that what's there instead is this silent forgiveness. It's a forgiveness for what I see in myself, a forgiveness for perhaps the way that I've mistreated myself in the past, when I have the memories or recognitions of things I've done in the past, there can be a forgiveness of that. Or maybe the way that I judged or blamed or shamed other people. Rather than an anger or a frustration arising, there's a silent forgiveness that arises. And I think this is similar to compassion, to a compassionate response to what we see in ourselves. Or it might be something that's happening in the present, might be some way that I see myself acting in some kind of foolish way or unskillful way, maybe getting angry at someone or putting someone down or being arrogant about my achievements. And I see that I don't have to actually make any more out of that just because I'm acting in those ways. It's like 
okay, there's that tendency. And there's a silent forgiveness of that arising. It's okay to let go of the fear. It's okay to let go of the harshness and feel into the difficulty of what I see. It's okay to feel into the humanness, the humanness of my being. At first, there's the recognition that there are tendencies that are strong, there are tendencies that are difficult, and then there's the wisdom that arises that knows that if I don't reinforce these patterns out of anger and fear, they begin to lose their power. They don't have such a strong grip in the mind. For me, it took me a long time to recognize my humanness, to really allow the fact that I was also a human being like everybody else. I wanted to be different. (laughs) I lived in an idealized bubble of myself, of who I wanted to be and who I wanted others to be. And when I wasn't like how I wanted to be and others weren't the way they were supposed to be, I would get quite angry or hurt or confused or disappointed. And each time I'd be confronted with my own idealized bubble. But I didn't know what was going on until I started coming to the practice. I thought I just had to um, work harder or, or I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I didn't understand why it was I was still feeling hurt and confused all the time. But eventually, through this practice, through the practice of working with reactive and negative thoughts in the mind, through working with seeing the emptiness of thought, not giving thought so much substance, through the loving kindness, through forgiveness, these difficult mind states started to lose their grip. They didn't go away, which is an interesting thing. They don't necessarily go away, but they're not as painful. Not as painful. The pain starts to go away. And that we allow the humanness, allow the humanness of our being to be simply who you are, to be simply who I am. And when we allow the humanness in ourselves, then we can allow it in others. There's a direct relationship. The more that we allow it in ourselves, the more we allow it in others. And there seems to be more and more ease as we move through our world. Forgiveness is a traditional practice in this lineage. We'll be doing some forgiveness here through the week. And there's usually three parts to the forgiveness practice. The first, asking forgiveness from those who you have harmed. The second, offering forgiveness to those who have harmed you. And the third, offering forgiveness to yourself for things that you have done that may have been harmful. And when we see these hardened tendencies in ourselves, 
we see the fear and the anger, this practice can be very helpful of offering forgiveness to ourselves and to others for ways that we harm each other and harm ourselves. When we forgive ourselves and we forgive others, we're not condemning, we're not blaming, we're not trying to be different and we're not asking others to be different. And it allows us to love again. It allows us to love again. Forgiveness arises from an open heart and melts the barriers around the heart. And when the heart opens, the eye that was so bound up in the story, the story of who we think we are, when we're so bound up and our mind is so contracted in a narrow view of itself, the heart opens and we start to expand. We start to feel lighter, more spacious, more at ease. And we come back to ourselves in love. I want to read one more poem that I've read a few times on retreat. One of my favorite poems from Derek Walcott. It's called Love After Love. The time will come when, with elation, You will greet yourself arriving at your own door, in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you have ignored for another, who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your own image from the mirror. Sit. Feast on your life. Feast on your life. And as we come into love with ourselves, It's this love which allows us to open our eyes to the world around us because we're not so bound in fear. And as we feel our own humanity, we can recognize and be sensitive to others. We're not living in an isolated bubble. We're not living in a bubble of just me. And as we feel this connection, we can feel enlivened by it. And the barriers, which seem so solid, give way to a feeling of oneness and connection where true happiness is found. Let's sit quietly just for a few minutes together. (laughs) 